Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I've messed around with the back of the rack a little bit. Uh, I'm a back of the rack guy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a blues song. Mm. Here we go. There's a whole different thing today. Yeah. Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School, brought to you by Masterclass. Yeah. I'm Matt Donnelly. We're broadcasting here from Las Vegas. <laughs> That's what we are doing. Yeah. This week, Penn, a Swifty? I'm a Swifty. Question mark? No. Period. And <laughs> is a Swifty. Here he is, preaching the love. Pendulette. Yeah, Penn Sunday School brought to you by Masterclass. Yeah. I've always wanted that, you know. Yeah. I've always wanted Sunday School to be something that I brought to, you know, sponsored yeah. by something I like. A presenting sponsor. We used to go through advertisers mm-hmm. and try to vet them. And as I noticed, the bar kept getting lower. Mm-hmm. And Masterclass was always our favorite ad to do. Yeah. And Masterclass came in and just said, why don't we just present you? So now Masterclass, which you can go to and get a uh, it's subscription is the term they use, Yes. Right? Subscription. Yeah, yeah. And you An get- annual subscription. You get all the lessons. You get yeah. all the lessons. You get all the classes, all the instructors. I will put this in now. I'm going to be saying it again. Right now, this is the important part, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash pen. Do you believe I had to look up? <laughs> I was almost positive, but I was looking for it too. <laughs> masterclass.com slash pen. I had to look that up. I had to look, but it's 15% off right now, yeah. and that's a really, really good deal because you learn all sorts of stuff. It's lifelong learning, which is what uh, I found becomes more and more important as my life goes. Oh, that's always been true. Yeah. I've always liked it. But you can learn wicked, wicked good stuff. Uh, masterclass.com slash pen. Now, preach and love. Yeah. Preach and love, preach and love, preach and love. I got to tell you, um, I'm in the middle now of an experiment. Okay. And I, I just... To be nostalgic, I did the pronunciation that I was that I did in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Experiment. We did an experiment. Um, I have been saying for a really, really long time that musical taste that is um, rooted in two years plus or minus first sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. Usually I say flippantly like first blowjob, mm-hmm. but whatever you want to say. Two years plus or minus your opinion on that kind of music is not valid. Mm-hmm. All these people who say, man, the hair bands, the, you know, it just, it just tells you when they were 16. Yeah. It tells you nothing else. Right. You know, they don't make music like that anymore. And something awful happened because of the bulge of the baby boom moving through the body of the snake that is life. <laughs> we ended up having the taste of those people kind of thrust upon generations before and after. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is the Beatles. 
right? Yes. And the Beatles were counterculture while just being culture. Right. One of those things is there's reading more stuff about animal perception. It seems to me that a big part of what music does is happening way, way below our conscious and taste levels. It is a courtship. It is a flirtation thing. It's a class thing. It's a team thing that all ties together. And that is hugely important around 16 or 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Most music is love songs. Yeah. It does seem like there is a flirtation and a courtship involved in that. And so you, you go back to remembering that. You go back to remembering sexual encounters you had while a certain thing was playing. Yes. And some of us, God help us, those of us who are the most tortured souls, a lot of time is spent worrying about the people in Ukraine. But let's worry about the people who had their first sexual activity during Bad Out of Hell. <laughs> I mean, the, those are the people that we should be sending aid to. Oh, sure. I mean, right. just the pressure alone for song length. I mean, just that's a long <laughs> time, you know. I'm glad you brought that up. If you're finished before that, let me sleep on it. It's embarrassing. Yeah, very, 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 very. And let me bring this up. When you say Penn's becoming a (laughs) Swifty, I want to make it very clear we're talking about Taylor Swift. Yes. Right. And not sexual. Yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to, although it'd be a really good idea, you know. As as Sam Kennison once said, and I, I don't know if it's one of one of his albums or he said it on Stern, but it really made me laugh. He said, that's not premature ejaculation. That's something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> I have other things to do. So I think, as you know, I think a lot about music. Yes. I am certainly guilty of the music I know best being the music from my high school years. Mm-hmm. And not just because it's attached to sex, although that's a big, big part of it, (laughs) but also because of my prioritizing of time, I really found it reasonable, not really reasonable, but mandatory even to lie on my bed and listen to the white album three times through in a row. I mean, studying, taking notes, really, really listening three times through two records set. So what's that? Not two hours, but Probably 190. Yeah. And uh, three times through, you know, four and a half hours on the weekend it came out, that was a reasonable amount of time to spend on it. And then I listened to house music and I listened for 10 minutes and go, okay, I get it, you know. And Stephen Banks said to me, if we put the amount of listens into, uh, in sync, that we put into the strawberry alarm clock. Yeah. We get the same amount out of it. Now, we're, we're putting other people that rise above this stuff in a slightly different category. You know, Beethoven, Bach, Dylan, mm-hmm. uh, Joni Mitchell, slightly different. We're going to try to pretend they're kind of timeless. So uh, my friend uh, Katrina, mm-hmm. who's, as you know, from Norway, Denmark, Holland. One of those places. Yeah, Sweden, one of those places. But her English is very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She said to me, you've been talking on Sunday school and other places about how if you put your attention into a record, yeah. you could find you get it out. You, you get enough out. You know? Yes. So uh, we decided to try an experiment. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get back to the high school vibe and experiment. And we wanted to pick someone 
or an album to put our attention into. Yeah. Now, Taylor Swift is, I think by many, many metrics, more popular than the Beatles were mm-hmm. when, I, when I was younger. And uh, Taylor Swift is certainly critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, very hard to find people other than 16-year-olds who are 16, 17, 18-year-olds who are defining their tribe. Yeah. Other than that, it's hard to find someone that dismisses Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, a very focused and serious career. So I went to a friend of mine. Uh, she's, um, I guess she's in her 30s. Okay. Maybe a little later. She's a friend of mine's daughter. Okay. Um, you adult, didn't card her though. You didn't, adult daughter. You didn't get the stats. No, I didn't get the okay. stats. Although I should know because I, I knew her when she was, you know, graduate from high school. So I should be able to back time it, but I can't. No, I think you should let that, you can forgive yourself for that. Okay. I know she likes Taylor Swift because mm-hmm. she does a podcast with her father called uh, Full Duplex Radio. Mm-hmm. They always play some Taylor Swift. And I always like it when she plays it. Uh, but I like it in a um, in a removed way. Mm-hmm. It's a totally intellectual, I should say, maybe I appreciate it. So I wrote to her and said, Katrina and I are going to pick a Taylor Swift record and just listen to it. Which one should we listen to? And she suggested, what is it, 87? What's the number? 1989. 89? Yeah. Yeah which there are many versions of. There's Taylor's version and... Yeah, there's Taylor's version and then the original one that got sold somehow. Depends on whose story you follow, but, it, but she didn't own that one, so she re-recorded it and put out Taylor's Oh, I version. see. I see, I see. Um, that was the one she first suggested. Yeah. And then I said, I wanted to try to find the record of Taylor Swift's that's the most another side of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Or um, or revolver, mm-hmm. um, uh, because she's very conversant in all kinds of music, not just her age group. Uh, I wanted something that was a um, a real artistic stand that the uh, performer was aware of, mm-hmm. and a and 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 had more depth that she was aware of, and maybe a little less dead in the middle poppy. So after a lot of back and forth, I mean three or four emails. We decided on folklore ah, with the bonus track. Okay. So I started listening to folklore as much as I could learning from how I listened to the White Album and Blonde on Blonde. Mm-hmm. So I had it as the background of my life a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I also listened to it as I laid in bed to, to, to sleep. Yeah. And I also gave it close lessons in the car at driving over. And uh, boy, the experiment was... Uh, Successful instantly. There's no doubt she's fantastic. Right. Just no doubt she's fantastic. Uh, the part that I was a little bit surprised is how quickly parts of it went right to my heart and became part of my thinking. Mm-hmm. In my defense, I have none. <laughs> a great phrase. Great phrase. In my defense, I have none. In my defense. Yeah. And then it continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It continues. Um, I have none. For never leaving well enough alone. Yeah, that's right. I'm never curious leave. about you doing this experiment as well because you're such a lyrics guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, Taylor Swift is very popular, but her songs are very catchy. And very catchy, but so are the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. I was able, the Beatles are lyrically, undeniably, way, way back behind Taylor Swift. Mm. There's a lack of sophistication, there's a lack of knowledge about rhythm and 
so on. Yeah. Theirs is essentially just da 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 and find what words fit with that. Yeah. Whereas Taylor has a more um, thematic bend around it. I'm also really interested in the fact that most of her lyrical writing uses feminine endings. And I'm probably not using that correctly, but um, in iambic pentameter, you can also count it as iambic pentameter if your last syllable is weak. Mm-hmm. And the way the Shakespeare sonnets usually written is a feminine ending question, masculine ending answer, which is not written as question and answer. It's just with the rhythm of the whole thing. Yes. And I often find that in Taylor Swift stuff, especially in one, the first cut on uh, on folklore, it really is, it's almost like, remember Wendy Liebman comic? Yes. Brilliant comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Wendy Liebman. Yeah, yeah. And she had a style of doing comedy where the, um, the punchline was always an afterthought. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know. Trailing off. Trailing off. I wish my boyfriend were here tonight. I don't have one. Uh, you know, right. that that kind of thing. I, I don't know if that's one of her jokes, but that kind of- That rhythm. The afterthought, the trailing off A is where away. the joke is. Taylor Swift does that. Strong. It's almost backwards to Shakespeare. Strong statement, questioning answer. Mm. In terms of rhythm and some nice terms of phrase, what I asked for from Rebecca- was to give me something that wasn't all breakup songs. Mm-hmm. Because Taylor Swift is, I mean, she's a punchline to jokes. Yeah, for, for her famous breakups, yeah. Everything is all breakup. And uh, but, uh, a lot of famous Dylan songs are also about breakups too. That's where I'm getting. Okay. That's exactly where I'm going. I wanted to not have every single song be about a breakup because... It's just something I'm not that interested in now. Right. I think I might have been interested in it a lot in high school. Sure. And the Dylan stuff that's breakup songs still rings true with me. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure I wanted to listen to 13 breakup songs. Right. Um, so I tried. And she has you know, uh, Last Great American Dynasty uh, is not a breakup song. Right. It's about buying the house of a, of a, of a rich widow, which is really kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um has some wonderful turns of phrases. And a Cardigan is a breakup song, mm-hmm. but has a whole different whole different feel. Mm-hmm. So I've listened to it. I count half listens as kind of half. So in terms of what I'm calling it, my own, uh, my own metric, which is not mm-hmm. very careful, I've listened to it about six times. And I find myself um, going back to it in my mind, which is happening quicker than I thought it would. It's getting into me quicker than I thought. And I'm really enjoying it. And the differences between the stuff I listen to and Taylor's are also really interesting in that um, certainly the Beatles' time drifts ridiculously. There's no song you can find in the Beatles. Uh, if I say this, we'll get like 10 people writing in. Right, right, right. There aren't many songs you can find in the Beatles catalog that start and stop at the same tempo. Right. It's very fluid. And of course, the Stones' time is all over the place, mm-hmm. and Dylan's time is the most consciously all over the place. Where the Beatles and the Stones can sometimes feel like a mistake, like when Steve Jordan took over drumming, mm-hmm. the Stones don't do that anymore. <laughs> right, 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 right. But with Dylan, especially uh, another side of Bob Dylan, and around there, he's just playing guitar. He slows down and speeds up to go with the lyrics. You know, right. it's clearly not a mistake. 
And when he first starts playing with the band, you can hear, or the band, you can hear they're trying to follow him in that fluidity. Mm-hmm. But Taylor Swift is at a different time, and in both senses, because Taylor Swift is using, I don't know if it's actually drum machine, but she's rarely using, feels like to me, I may be totally wrong on this, she's rarely using a live drummer playing while she's performing. Do you know about that, Reddy? Is that true? Or? I don't know. Yeah. But it it is a synthetic bass drum for much of it. And the, the synthetic hand claps. I wonder if I'm remembering this right, but I think, didn't Folklore come out in the pandemic? Yes. I was going to get to that too. Very okay. important. Yeah. yeah Very yeah. important. That's where you get your other side of Bob Dylan. You know? Yeah, yeah. The other side of Bob Dylan, it was for him. It was a self-imposed kind of pandemic. Yes. Uh, Dylan's had a lot of those with his possibly exaggerated accidents yes. and so on. But she had the forced upon her that we all shared, which is really interesting. Right. And I think that putting out that album was a challenge. I think she did a lot more of, of think, putting these together, I think, mm-hmm. than, than she normally did on some of her yeah. other albums. Yeah. Yeah. I think So I'm just wondering if the drum part's part of that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think that music has changed enough that I don't think people are as open to the fluidity of beat as they used to be. Right. Because rap music with its samples mm-hmm. pretty much can't have that. Yeah. And uh, all your electronica and house music can't have that. Right. You don't hear you don't hear fluidity in Dead Mouse. Right. Of the tempo speeding up and slowing down. You know. Right. 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 A lot of the recording software. It's very hard to have any fluidity. Right. And uh, jazz guys start and stop at the same tempo. The skill is there, but within the phrases, there are micro changes. And I mean, Ray Charles, who no one has ever had a better sense of time, to my ear, than Ray Charles, you can still hear what he wants to mess with that he does. Yeah. And on uh, Taylor Swift's first cut, of the record, the lyrics fight against the fact that she's she's trapped into a straight beat, which is really interesting to me. Dylan uh, moves as one entity, yeah. right? We listen to Blonde on Blonde, all the time is all Dylan moving through. And Taylor Swift has a bed that she's interacting with in both senses. Sure. <laughs> yes. But there's a bed laid down, and then she does her lyrical time over that and with a certain kind of fluidity. And goddamn, she's a good singer. Yeah. I mean, just um, uh, I'm used to singers that strain a little bit for the notes, work a little bit. And that's part of the idea. You know, Lou Reed always sang a little flat, and he always also had his voice crack when he wanted it to. Elvis had his voice cracked when he wanted it to. But Taylor Swift is um, uh, not antiseptic, not artificial, mm-hmm. not uh, auto-tune, but really dead on. And the breath control and the phrasing and everything is very, very good. You know, you don't have, oh, there's that moment of the Taylor Swift song where she's not quite in tune. Mm, no. And you don't have, there's that moment of the Taylor Swift song where the band is not quite in time. Professional musicians are better than they were 50 years ago. It's, it's kind of simply that. Right. And the people she has playing with her are wicked good, and she's wicked good. She emerged from the womb playing guitar, right, and singing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
it's really, really interesting to me. And I, I, I got to tell you, I do have, and this, this is to be expected for a man 68 years old. I don't glom on to the heartbreak the way I would have when I was younger, not because I lack heartbreak. Right. But my heartbreak is bigger now. My heartbreak is about the whole world. The heartbreak is about my children. The heartbreak is about, it frightens me, the awful truth of how sweet life can be. Mm -hmm. And Taylor's heartbreak, because of her age, I think, has not gotten to that point. It's not the heartbreak of the beauty of life. It's the heartbreak of that fucking dick left me. Yeah. Which I want to bring that up. Sam Kennison had many, many routines about how badly different women treated him. And uh, Bob, I've said this before, but it's it's it was so important to me. The shoe fit a little bit. Bobcat Goldthwait went on and said, "Boy, all these went on Stern." And I'm not going to quote him directly. I'm not even trying to. But my, what I what I uh, what I remember from it, what I understood from it, was Bobcat went on Stern and said, "You know, it's interesting because you know Kennison and Bobcat did not get along." Mm-hmm. Bobcat went on and said, "You know, it's interesting that Sam Kennison has." has all these women, all these women who have fucked him over. And I had to look at this and say, what do these women have in common? Uh, education? No. Socioeconomic background? No. Passions? No. Um, hair color? No. Uh, looks? No. What do they have in common? Him! That's what they have in common! So I think about, uh, in order to write like Taylor Swift, yeah. you have to have a phenomenal number of breakups. Yeah, yeah. And I was about to say, well, what she's doing is she's got a feedback loop where why do all these people break up with me? All these people break up with me because all these people break up with me and it goes on and on and on. And I thought, wow, she has a lot of breakups to sing about. And then I thought, well, Joni Mitchell, <laughs> Bob Dylan. Yeah. And then, and I'm not going to say his name for, um, for reasons that will become apparent. Um, I was almost just started with his name, <laughs> which would have been the most pendulette thing that's ever been done on this show. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine who's a musician, an excellent musician, and a really good writer, one of the qualities about him that was astonishing to me, always astonishing to me, is he is able to fall in love faster than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. It's supernatural. And seems phony, but knowing him for 35 years, it's not. It's not phony at all. You go to a restaurant with this guy, and he says, that waitress is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I, I, I can't believe how beautiful she is. I, I can hardly breathe. I mean, look at her hair. Look at her eyes. Look at the way she talks to me. I've, I've never seen anybody like that. Yeah. And she comes over and says, you know, what would you like? And he makes a comment and she makes a comment back. She walks away and he goes, she's, she's just perfect. And in my mind, he's as deeply in love as I've ever been. Yeah. And then you leave the restaurant and it's over. Yeah. He also goes and he, he, he works with different musicians. And I know whenever he's working with a different musician, he's going to write to me and say, I'm just, I'm just so in love with that person. I'm just so in love. Yeah. And he has also been in a successful marriage for many, many years and then travels out and falls madly in love and has affairs and comes back 
And I believe at this point, you still don't want to name them. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think I, I, I believe that this is all within their deal. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be destroying his relationship, but it might embarrass him. And I used to be dismissive of him. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. What the, what the fuck's he doing? You can't, you can't fall in love, you know, five times a day. And then I crossed over into being envious. I think there's an there's an openness to the world that allows you, uh, you know, my my buddy, uh, and I will name him Tony. Yeah, Tony Fitzpatrick. Every artist. You're talking about a new person. Yeah, every artist he meets. Yeah, is the best artist he's ever seen. Right. He he just he just absorbs that, and when he has a friend. As you know, Tony's never allowed to drive in the state of Illinois for the rest of time. Right. Because of driving a house in the living room. And other things. <laughs> Plus. Yeah. So he always has to have someone that helps him out by driving. Yeah. So usually, uh, often, he'll pick someone who's a little bit down in their luck and has say, you know, you can you can drive around. I need someone to, because he can't drive. Uh, and it's, it's, it's more reasonable than an Uber or a town car all the time. And Tony will talk about that person who's driving with such passion. You know, Bob, just this this whole thing. He'll tell you stories. And there's an openness to other human beings that I'm now envious of. I used to feel that I wanted to be measured. Like I couldn't say this is the best art I've ever seen. Right. Because maybe later I was going to say, this is the best art I've ever seen. Right. And in my mind, someone was keeping score. Yeah. The, the, oh, wait a minute, Ben. You said that before. You, who are you? You are a fucking liar. Yeah. You're a piece of shit for having two exactly, favorite, exactly. favorite pieces of art. And I was putting a roof on my passion, you know, and not allowing myself to fall in love with the server. Why the hell wouldn't you do that? Why the hell wouldn't you be that open? So what I used to think of as kidding, joking about Taylor Swift, that negative I now see as a positive. Why shouldn't you fall head over heels in love and get your heart broken three times a year? I mean, you know, there are dumb things I've said yes to strictly because I'm a podcaster. I, I worked point. a 15-hour shift at an election thing, just a volunteer for the election, just so, it was, it was during the pandemic, just so I'd have something to fucking talk about on the goddamn <laughs> podcast. Right. So Taylor's sitting there with the guitar going, yeah. I I need to fall in love with someone fast. No, I think it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you go, oh shoot, if I go out with this guy, I'm probably going to become obsessed, then it might I might get hurt. Yeah. But... <laughs> There's a buck in that. It's what makes me me. Yeah. And people love me for doing this. Yeah. So you can kind of go like, this person's not my type. This person seems like they might be bad for me. Gosh, it'll probably be exciting and yeah. inspiring. Yeah. Which you can do without making records. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not Taylor can't. <laughs> I also find it really interesting when, uh, when John Lennon wrote Norwegian Wood, mm-hmm. we never knew who that woman was. You know, right? When when Bob wrote Positively Fourth Street, we never knew that woman who's or the man he was talking about. But we, with he, Taylor, yeah, we, we have the other piece of the puzzle. 
But some of that is because of our time, right? right? That's, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, because we, we were very curious who Dylan was writing about. I'm saying. And, yeah, yeah. Entirely the time. Yes. It's the change in the time. The same as the change in the time of the bass drum and the hand claps, there's also the change in the other kind of time, society time, that we know yeah. she's talking about Justin, whoever the fuck, Justin yeah, yeah, Bieber. Yeah. Was that one of them or not? Uh, I don't know. I don't. You know, I can't name one of them except football guy, which I just found out I can't name except for football Travis guy. Travis Kelsey. What's his name? Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. I also find it fascinating. The Bob, uh, the, the the John Lennon Underground album came out, mm-hmm. which was, it was actually called John Lennon the Plastic Owner Band, but it's usually called the Underground album. Came out with Working Class Hero. Yeah. To you're so fucking crazy they can't follow your rules. Yeah. Right. And when he said fucking on that record, it was like, whoa, yeah, holy shit. John's saying fucking. A Beatle is saying fucking yeah. on a real release that I bought in a record store. Yeah. Man, that's, I, if, I hope my parents don't hear this. <laughs> they, would, they would go flip city. Yeah. So fucking crazy you can't follow their rules about working class. Whoa. And it was really intense and it ripped me apart. And yet. He sings on um, Getting Better. I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. Mick Jagger sings Under My Thumb very comfortably. Stone sings Stupid Girl. Yeah. No problem. In a way that doesn't betray their heart, but in a way that is now shocking, they use the N-word. It's on Exile on Main Street, the one that's about Angela Davis. Mm -hmm. One that always goes through my head and it's not going through my head now. It doesn't matter. And now you would not ever right. find the slightest racial comment in Taylor Swift. You would not, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, you wouldn't even find a description of someone. Yeah. You know, I mean, oh, Sweet Black Angel. That's what I was saying. The Stones sing Sweet Black Angel. Uh, Bob Dylan sings uh, Ebony, mm-hmm. Skin Like Ebony. Those things pop up. I don't imagine. I don't. I don't know the whole uh, all of her work. I don't imagine that that would show up in any of Taylor Swift stuff. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, if we look back at those things, like um, like when Lou Reed suddenly briefly got shit for uh, Walk on the Wild Side. Walk on the Wild Side, and also uh, when he referred to the color girl sing. Yeah, yeah, which was a a, a wink and a statement of. Uh, about the Stones. The time, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, and about Ray Charles. But um, you wouldn't have Taylor Swift do that. And yet, here is when um, when Debbie Harry, and this is even more recent. This is the eighties. This isn't even the sixties we're talking about. In the eighties, when Debbie Harry sang, "Once I Had Love and It Was a Gas," soon turned out it was a pain in the ass. That was shocking. Not just because of the language, but also because of a woman mm-hmm. using pain in the ass. And now Taylor uses shit and fuck very comfortably, you know? Yeah. And my children, I believe, use the word fuck in school. What the fuck, you know, ask a question. I mean, I, I think at the Las Vegas Academy of the Arts, that's, well, you certainly wouldn't, if they overheard you say fuck, you certainly wouldn't be thrown out of school. Right. You Whereas know? I would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Charlie Rocket was it? What's his name? Uh, who was thrown off Saturday Night Live? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Charles for, Charles Rocket for saying fuck once. Yes, you can't imagine that now. Bono going to the FCC, 
by saying at the Grammy Awards, this is fucking great. Yeah. Uh, was that the quote? I don't know. But use the word fuck or some form of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was in this, this century. That was in this century. And yet Taylor Swift, who is still, uh, you know, America's sweetheart, certainly. Yeah. You see the little E rating, little yeah. E for explicit language. Yeah. Thank goodness. Does anyone pay attention to that? No. I mean, I mean, there, there's probably evangelicals who say you can't listen to Taylor Swift, but that's more because she fucks than she says fuck. Yes. But both of those are probably, probably together. Not surprisingly, yeah. I've got a lot more to say about Taylor Swift, <laughs> but it all ties in with lifelong learning. Yeah. And really, as time goes on, that's so important to just keep learning and masterclass who now brings us yeah. Penn Sunday School, Masterclass has really dedicated their company to lifelong learning and getting members who just learn and learn and learn with the classes and the lessons. I haven't done as many as I'm going to. Right. It's true for a lot of things. Sure. But even the few that I've done have not only taught me, I mean, this is the thing about learning. Phil Proctor, yeah. A fire sign theater, one of the most important people in my early, early life, uh, said to me when I met him and I asked him uh, how to be funny, he said, know everything. I think if you want to be a good comedian mm-hmm. or if you just want to be a good person, mm-hmm. the more you know and the more you can grab about stuff, like Chris Voss, yeah. there was a class on hostage negotiating that well, um, he's a hostage negotiator. That class is just on negotiating. Yeah, negotiating. Yeah. I don't think I do much negotiation, you know. Right. But Reddy Rich pointed out how powerful it was that he said, when you point with your index finger, it is aggressive. What's the word he used? Primates interpret it as an act of aggression. An act of aggression. And I pointed throughout the Penn and Teller show. I would point all the time. When I would indicate people come up in the audience, when I would make a point, I would point, and uh, after uh, Chris Voss started holding my hand flat, all my fingers out to indicate. And it's fascinating the different vibe that brings to our show. Yeah, but also doesn't it bring a different vibe to you? Yes, and that's the part that's mind-blowing. I just pointed out you as an act of aggression. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to kick your ass later. <laughs> um, really fascinating that the change you brought to the show might have been more the change in my heart. Yeah. And sometimes it's really difficult because I can't just go, you come up here. If I point, it isn't as uh, specific. So I have to say you in the, in the blue turtleneck. Yeah. There's something that changes our show about that. So there you've got a thing on negotiation that has nothing to do with um, show business. Right. And yet what I learned from there becomes really, really important to what I do for a living and also to my heart, yeah. you know? Uh, so I watched, I watched the one on basketball. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I think many, many people can learn huge amounts from Steve Martin who never intend to do stand-up comedy. Right. Writing from Neil Gaiman, you can learn a lot. And I don't want to harp on this, but certainly you learn a lot in magic by Ben and Teller. <laughs> but you, you really do, by the way. <laughs> I, the first thing Teller teaches you in that class is something that I teach people when I first, if someone wants to learn a magic trick, and I thought that was universal. It turns out mm-hmm. that's Teller. 
Yeah. That's not the first thing people learn. No, it's not. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's really powerful. And it's my go-to all the time. If I, if I say, oh, he's a magician. This kid does it. Just do French drop. Boom. Hi, how's it going? Like, it's super fast and super easy, and it's great. Yeah. 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 Well, Teller is phenomenal, phenomenal instructor. Yes. You know, and also Masterclass brings a lot to that, too. So if this sounds good to you. It should. It should. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash pen. That's 15% off right now. At that, That's because it was in all caps. Right now. Right now at masterclass.com slash pen. Masterclass.com slash pen. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. And let's, uh, and it, it all ties in. I mean, the, it's why it's such, so good to have them presenting us, sir. Yeah. Because uh, our show is often talking about lifelong learning in its own sloppy, stupid ways. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, listen to this podcast. For me, learning magic. Mm -hmm. I started as a co-host with someone who didn't do magic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't realize I needed something to obsess over. Mm -hmm. Like, it, I, I, I was a big improv guy. I explored it to my heart's content and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I started just doing something else. I was like, oh, did I need... Something like this in my life. It's also, well, you know, I just had the, the, the two things that were so huge in my life and took so long to pay off in that I did, um, I did my first bass yes. uh, record playing upright bass called incidentally, you sure you three guys know what you're doing. Right. And if you haven't heard it, it's, it's good. It's a good album. I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, um. You don't even get to hear me say that about a Penitella show. But I, I, I guess I feel a little more comfortable. Yeah. Because uh, Jeff Hamilton is the best drummer there is yeah. alive today. Although if I say alive today, I'm going to give text from uh, Jeff Hamilton to say, name the four dead drummers dead. than me that are dead. Name those. <laughs> and Mike Jones, of course, you know how good yeah. Jonesy is. And then I play bass. I do okay. Yeah. I had a wonderful thing happen. It was... It was really amazing. And it happened to another friend of mine. She was listening to Ron Gomes's um, podcast called uh, Full Duplex uh, Radio, which is really nice. It's, you can look it up on the web. You can't find it in the regular podcast. You got to like put the RSP in. The, what's that? What are those letters? RSS feed. R RSS feed. You have to mm. put that in there. But it's called Full Duplex Radio. And it's uh, Ron Gomes and his uh, daughter, Rebecca. And uh, they just play music and talk about it, and I love it. But a friend of mine who listens to it, by the way, if you're a listener, they announce your birthday when it comes up, the week it comes up, because they now at this point have like three dozen listeners. So <laughs> you, we could we could triple that instantly. No problem. And you get your birthday said by Ron Gomes and Rebecca. And Rebecca's really, you've heard it, right? I haven't. Oh. Uh, Rebecca's really funny. Oh, good. She's in show business. She like um, she's like a producer mm -hmm. of like cooking shows and reality shows. Yeah, but she's wicked funny. Makes me laugh out loud. But a friend of mine who does listen was listening, and she said, um, "I heard a girl from Ipanema 
and I really liked that version. And I went to look at the, uh, whatever they're called, liner notes. Yeah. And it said it was you. And I, I was so thrilled by her saying that. But before, before that, I had even more remarkable experience. I'm listening to the same podcast, mm-hmm. and Girl from Ipanema comes on. And really, sincerely, this is not a gag, I said to myself, oh, boy, that, that's like an acoustic bass. It sounds really good playing the lead. It has a, it has a really woody tone, and I like that. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> this person shares the same sensibilities as I do. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I've told this experience before, where I was thumbing through a magazine when they still had magazines. This must have been 15 years ago. I was thumbing through a magazine in a store in L.A. It was like, you know, one of these uh, hipster-type rags. Yeah, yeah. And I opened up in the middle, and there was a pull quote about Las Vegas, right? (laughs) And I said, wow, that really nails it. Really (laughs) nails it. That's exactly right. And I looked for where the pull quote was, and it said, said Gillette. And I went, oh, I'm I'm agreeing with myself. (laughs) Sure Uh, enough. I agree with me. (laughs) But talking about music, I'm also listening tremendously to um, to 500 songs, the history history of rock music by Andrew Hickey, who is becoming a friend, which is a wonderful experience. And someone wrote in to us and said that I didn't give my reasons for starting at the beginning. I said, you can go to 500songs.com. You can find out about Andrew Hickey's. And you'll see ones that you really want to listen to. Yeah. Like I saw the Velvet Underground one and had to listen to that. I saw the Mothers of Invention one, had to listen to that. And then I went back and started from the beginning. And uh, what you don't know when you listen to your favorite ones is how much the whole thing weaves together and how it builds. And if you are someone who bristles at whatever it's called now, woke or... um political correctness or whatever the term is that none of us ever like. We don't have a word that we do like for that. Right, right. right. Um, hypersensitivity to other people's feelings, whatever, yes. whatever you want to call that. If you bristle at that, if you are, for instance, someone who produced the aristocrats. Right. Andrew Hickey talking about music does a better job at explaining why that matters and why that's important that I've seen anyone else do. And it is not what he's trying to do, mm-hmm. but it is a sideline. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I wanted to be self-aggrandizing, I would say it's like Fool Us. Fool Us is not on TV to bring young magicians, people of color, gender-fluid magicians. That's not the purpose of Fool Us, but it's a byproduct that I like to think is having a very small change on at least the culture of magic. Mm -hmm. Andrew Hickey, although he's talking about music, there's so much he's changed my feelings on. And one of the things he's changed my feelings on, and this is heavy, he's changed my feelings on individualism. Even as recently as five years ago, politically, emotionally, my thinking centered around individualism. That was really wicked. I'm not sure I understand what you mean by individualism. Well, I'm going to try to explain. Herman Melville, Mm -hmm. 
someone who Moby Dick uh, springs full-blown from his brain. Yeah. A man, I don't even know, I think he wrote longhand, but a man uh, or woman just writing. You know, Nicholson Baker, just people writing. There's a purity of that. And I believe that Blonde on Blonde uh, or Blood in the Tracks or even Rough and Rowdy, no, that came out after, but even Love and Theft, the Bob Dylan records, came out of one person's work and heart and self-examination. And I knew they lived in a context. All this art lives in a context. I knew that. But it didn't seem as collective. When I watched Cirque du Soleil do the show Love, and I felt that one of the themes of that show was that uh, we were all part of the Beatles' creation, and we're all part of the Beatles. I really bristled at that and hated the show because of that, because I think those four individuals are what matters, you know? Right. And, of course, I've talked many times about how Elvis fits in with the Mm -hmm. R&B of the time, and I've always talked about, you know, the British invasion and how that all goes together. But, and Andrew Hickey's never said this, by the way, and it may not even be his point. So do not put this on Andrew Hickey. This is me. In 500 songs, there's a sense that there's a, there's a zeitgeist and there's a, um, something that society needs out of music. Mm-hmm. And society, by buying certain singles, which is the way it worked back then, yeah. not the way it works now, works Similarly, but differently. Yeah. Um, by buying certain singles, they decide the all of culture, this this organism. You know, this is one of the reasons that one of the bits in our show is now called the wisdom of crowds and hive mind. Yes. I wrote that bit with these thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, the buying public, which are, which are stupid, right? Just. 15-year-olds, oh, I like the beat of that. Yes. Okay? But they decide what gets bought. So musicians and creators try to decide what they're going to want. So there becomes this back-and-forth discussion. Steve Jobs said, you know, we have to teach them what they want. That's not the famous quote, but that's the way I understand it. Mm-hmm. You know the famous quote? How do they know what to buy if we don't tell them? It's very famous, maybe the most famous Steve Jobs quote that I don't have in my head. Not the most famous that I don't have in my head, but also that. Um, Travis Kelsey. (laughs) Exactly. Once you get powerful enough in music, you can lead. Uh, Certainly David Bowie with Lowe mm -hmm. and with Heroes, that whole German period, he taught people a different kind of music. Mm Mm-hmm. Debbie Harry taught us a different way to listen to disco, but it starts with everybody trying to find this stuff. And as you listen to Andrew Hickey, you realize that everybody plays on everybody's tracks and everybody's talking about everybody else. Did I mention the, uh, the, uh, the little Richard thing that I learned from Andrew Hickey on the show? Nope. Oh, oh, oh. Do you know this? Yes, but off air. I, you haven't, you've not said it on air. Oh. So Andrew Hickey's talking about Little Richard, who, the history of rock music yes, and Taylor Swift and everything else will tell you when all is said and done, if you had to pick 
one person that's the most important in rock and roll. And you don't have to. Yeah. But if you had to, mm-hmm. if there was some deranged terrorist who <laughs> held this in a room. Yeah, yeah. A mis- misplaced terrorism, yeah. like all terrorism, better add that right away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> broke into the room, hostage negotiating. Yeah. We're going to know not to point a finger we at him. We won't put a finger. No, open hand gesture. Chris Boss, because of uh, master class, open hand gesture, and put a gun to our heads and said, who is the most influential and important person to rock and roll? I think we got to say Little Richard. Yeah. I think we've got to say Little Richard. I think we've got to. Unless the terrorist needs us to say something else. Right, right. And then we'll say anything to get out of that room. Which which case it could be Plastic Bertram of France. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. So you, you, you were impressed by how I pulled that one out? I, I, it was a really good specific poll, for sure. <laughs> I was going to go Mott the Hoople, but yours is better. I think people, well, people know Martha Hoople better. Yeah. So that might be a better choice. But Plastic Bertram, <laughs> se plan pour moi, se plan pour moi. No one knew what it meant. It's an impress. It's a very influential song. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a new bit in our show called Se plan pour moi. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I haven't written it yet. But <laughs> <laughs> so Little Richard. Little Richard. Little Richard. Got very successful very quickly. Mm-hmm. He wrote songs about anal sex with men and got to the top 10 with them <laughs> and made Pat Boone sing them, which is really funny. That's great. Deeply, deeply funny. Little Richard, of course, not of course, but Little Richard was horribly tortured. Yes. And his life was very complicated. And, uh, but uh, Bob Dylan's favorite. Elvis Presley's favorite. Sure. <laughs> I mean, anybody you want to say they're really important to uh, the Beatles? Yeah. I mean, Paul McCartney has said Little Richard taught him how to sing. Yeah. So anybody that we want to put in that position goes back to Little Richard. Yeah. Um, so Little Richard got wicked famous, wicked fast. And this is before, of course, we had media, so everybody knew exactly who Richard Richard Little Richard was. Right. You could hear a song on the radio all the time and never know what the person looked like who said it. Exactly. Which is possibly part of the success of Chuck Berry. Uh, People didn't know he was African-American. Right. That speculation is there and it's not far-fetched at all. Same with Rick Astley. What's that? Same with Rick Astley, but in reverse. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Little Richard got hugely successful. And Little Richard had all these dates... Somewhere in the southeast, I think maybe Georgia or some, had all these dates in Georgia that he was booked to play. But he had dates in L.A. that he felt were more important to his career. Mm-hmm. So he had to be in two places at once. And at that time, now, you know, if you wanted to have, oh, Taylor Swift has these dates that we, people want to go to, we'll book someone else in place of her to sing her songs. Wouldn't do well. No. Would not do well. People would notice. <laughs> I think so. But at that time, and that's astonishing because Little Richard is so powerful and memorable, you could have someone else be Little Richard. You could send out a blue man group, <laughs> someone painted like Little Richard. Yeah. And people would go see that show and be satisfied that they had seen Little Richard. That's crazy. So they hired a little Richard impersonator who worked for like a long time 
like a year. Touring as Little Richard. Touring as Little Richard. Doing all Little Richard songs and referring to himself on stage as Little Richard. Okay. Now, Andrew Hickey's telling this story and completely blowing my mind. There's a clone of Little Richard out on the road. But I don't know what he's got in store because kind of like the feminine ending of uh, Taylor Swift yeah. or the uh, Wendy Liebman trailing off afterthought, yeah, yeah. The throwaway. he does this. He goes, that Little Richard impersonator, who is very successful, all, I'm not doing an Andrew Hickey impersonation. No, no, it's too no. difficult. This is me. Touring all over Georgia, did very well, was always introduced as the hardest working man in show business, which was an introduction he kept when he went back to his real name, James Brown. And next week... <laughs> That's also like amazing part of his style, too. Yeah. Like yeah. he just presents the facts. Yeah, yeah. And moves on. Yeah, yeah. Like any other podcast, would be like, and it was fucking James Brown yeah, the yeah. whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also does that where he goes, uh, how horrible the, the Buddy Holly Christmas tour, Winter Wonderland tour, which... Buddy Holly died on and the big bopper and Richie yeah. Valens. <laughs> he says, uh, the drummer got frostbite. That's how bad they were treated on the road. Ugh. The drummer got frostbite, so he couldn't play. So Richie Valens and Buddy Holly took turns playing behind each other, playing drums. Right. And he says, we don't have, we don't have much record of how those shows were. Without a full-time drummer, we only have one person who saw them in Minnesota reported on it, and that was Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they died, the guy who took their place was a guy named Bobby V, mm -hmm. who did the rest of the tour after those three died. He went in to fill in. Oh, I'm not Buddy Holly. I'm Bobby V. Boy, that is a hard audience to read. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard... hard audience to read. Yeah. And they did the rest of the tour. And his piano player was, and I, this is a, embarrassing, I've forgotten the name, mm -hmm. but the name was like uh, Alonzo Prime or something, right? Was playing piano behind Bobby V. Mm. And it says, uh, this guy liked different names because later he would work under another stage name, Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, he was a piano player behind Bobby V. And I knew that. I did not know the stage name. And oh. I did not know it was that tour. Oh, my God. But, and he, all that stuff. He does this thing, talked about a guy named Vince Taylor, who became a huge star in uh, France. Yeah, and for people who haven't listened to that podcast yet, there's no wink even to what we're talking about. No, 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 not at all. Like, Penn's putting it in. You can't, not as a regular human being. Yeah. But he's so by the books. Yeah. That it just, the names go by and the facts go by. Yeah. And just catch it if you can. And he says, he has this whole Vince Taylor dressed in all black leather. Yeah. He was kind of, uh, he was that kind of 1958 rocker, mm -hmm. you know? And play, people tore up the joint. He... He never became big in the U.S., which is where he was from, kind of. I think he was mostly brought up in the U.S. from Britain. Or in Great Britain, he never became that famous. But in France, he was huge. So there's a long description, he, he writes, about uh, 
how the people reacted and how he looked on stage and how he moved and how the music was and how the band played together. A straight description of Vince Taylor. And he said, um, I reads the whole thing, and he said that was sent as a dispatch to a Liverpool rock paper by uh, Paul McCartney, who was uh, on vacation with his friend John Lennon. And they had stopped into France and saw this show and had seen some of the people in the audience wearing haircuts that were very different and decided to get those haircuts in France. <laughs> that's in Vince Taylor. That's okay. Vince Taylor. So that's why you got to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Because he will drop you nuggets. Yes. All the way through. So I will continue. I'm hoping to listen to Taylor Swift a couple, three dozen times. I want to have the so record. Folklore? folklore? Uh, yeah, folklore. I want to have folklore at my fingertips. Almost, not all, I will never get it really, but almost the way I have, uh, not Blonde on Blonde or White Album, but almost the way I have Little Feet at my fingertips. Mm -hmm. You know, a band that I listen to a lot, uh, Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. I want to have it at my fingertips. I want it to be part of my thinking the way Steppenwolf. And I'll tell you, in one in one text, a friend of mine reprimanded me, and I wrote back in my defense, "I have not." <laughs> <laughs> so powerful the way that turns. Very powerful. And it also the fact it goes to another line, so it's not grammatically insane, and yet it really uses songwriting for what it's supposed to do. You know, really, really does that very, very well. And the um, the uh, last American Dynasty song really has that that storytelling feeling of uh, of John Prine or Randy Newman. You yeah. know, Taylor Swift's got a lot going on. Now I don't know if I'll ever break through the synth pop stuff because mm -hmm. maybe that's just you. I just needed to listen to another fifty hours of other people doing that before I would. But maybe, maybe I'll get in on her lyrics. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a lot, of, lot of thinking about that. I want to go uh, before we get all the way away from Taylor. I want to make the argument that it's not just the quantity of breakups; it's the public nature and the timing of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a star at sixteen. Yeah, you're and right. And dating celebrities at seventeen and eighteen. You're right. And just the age of that is. So probably she's, she's not a Disney kid that w it wasn't weird to talk about that when it happened. So you're really saying that from the age of what is she now? 30? Is that what she is? I think 34, 35. Oh, really? From the age of 16 to 35, the number of romances and breakups Taylor Swift has had may not be above average at all. Is that your point? Yeah. I think you're right. We're talking about 20 years of Taylor Swift and she's had what? Ten famous breakups? Yeah. On that order. That that's low. <laughs> Taylor, get out there. For someone who can probably like for the most part date anyone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if she gave me a call. I... <laughs> no, no thank you. <laughs> no thank you, Taylor. And I don't want to have to block you. I don't want to have to block you. <laughs> hey Penn, I was wondering if maybe we'd get together. New phone, who dis? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> oh Jesus! You pick up the phone. There are ready, Rich. To even go on one date, you, you you know, no no herbs and rye. Where, where do you take Taylor? 
Uh, it has to be Gillies, right? <laughs> <laughs> Taking Taylor Swift to Gillies would be remarkable. That's great. It was like the time it's I played the episode for an episode title, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we I was going to a state fair with Debbie, Debbie yeah. Harry, yeah. and I begged her, begged her, begged her, when they have those, they used to have those karaoke booths yeah. that were just a tractor-trailer truck, and in the back of it they had, you could sing karaoke and make your own record. Yeah. I think it was a cassette at that point, maybe? No. maybe I don't know what it was, but you got to make a record. Which now, of course, would be nothing. Everybody has the equipment on their phone. Yes. But they would give you the backing track. Mm -hmm. You could record it, and they gave you a record. We drove out to a state fair. It was probably um, an hour and a half ride from Manhattan to wherever we were going, Jersey State Fair. Yeah. And we were in the car the whole time. And last year, I'd been there, and they'd had one of these karaoke booths. And I'd walk by, and someone was doing Heart of Glass, Right. You could see them in the glass booth, and they record. What's that love? But it was a gas. And I said, Debbie, if they have that, uh, you have to, you have to do, you have to do a recording of Heart of Glass for me. It's, it's all I want. And she said, No, I'm not going to stand in a glass booth at a state fair and sing Heart of Glass. I'm not going to do that. Please, I'm not going to do it, Pen. Please. Okay, uh, I'm not going to do it, but let's get on to, uh, uh, so you know, Penn, the, you're working on the forklift trick, and uh, I was thinking for Letterman, uh, it's going to be really good, isn't it? You really excited about that? Please, please do the booth. Please do the, so after an hour and a half of cajoling and unpleasant whimpering begging. I don't have puppy dog eyes. I did my best to create puppy dog eyes. <laughs> I I was so, so kind and soft-spoken. You know, I was just like, please, please, I won't make you go on the scary rides. That's bullshit because she'd go on anything. Yes. <laughs> Debbie's tougher than me in every way. Still is. Yes. Um, please, please, please. So finally, she said, okay. I'll do Heart of Class at the karaoke booth for you and make a recording that you can keep. Promise? Yes, I'm going to do it. No, you can't. I don't want you to back out. If you get, no, I'm going to do it. I want your word. No, I'm going to do it. Shut up. No, promise me. I'm promising you. Yes, I'll do it. Now shut up. Thanks. We get there. No karaoke booth. Oh, no. Just terrible. Terrible. So when Reddy goes on his date <laughs> with Taylor Swift to Gillies, I want you to get out of the dance floor, right? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. That's two-step. <laughs> We're going to do a two-step. But the, the, when Taylor did country, did she do all that kind of stuff? Or was yeah. it always... Was there... A, did, did Taylor Swift go pop like Dylan went electric? With Red. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was very controversial. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've just found my new Dylan. Is that all that's happened? I think you did. Yeah. And Although, I, think, I think I think why she's becoming the, the icon that she is is, is because of the longevity and, and the ability to, like, that. we're talking about all these things like it's old news and yet she's still making new news. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's not, 
she's not tied to a time anymore. No. She's not tied to a decade anymore. No, 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 no. She'll, she'll do great. Although I'm going to make the argument that country was pop before she started. Country was pop as soon as they as they got rid of the uh, as they got rid of the uh, fiddles. Yeah. The, the Nashville sound. The Nashville sound in 1959 starts sliding country into pop, don't you think? Or are you saying something different? Yeah, well, I'm mostly talking about all the cock rock guys that didn't make it in the 80s. Right. Went in the country in the 90s. Yeah. And all we're really talking about is structure, mm-hmm. but the hooks and the uh, instrumentation is the same. Yeah. And there's definitely, I mean, uh, Trace Adkins yeah. is just, you know, 80s cock rock, you know. Yeah, yeah. Ballads and shit. Uh, honky tonk badonka donk. Come on now, now you so now you already know you're wrong because you just said those words and you know how deep that is. I do, I do. Honky tonk badonka donk. Yeah, is a different kind of genius. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the genius of getting laid on the road. Yeah. If Taylor Swift had come up with something the equivalent yeah. of honky tonk badonka donk, she would have had at least seven hundred breakups by now. Yeah. <laughs> Just could put out like a uh, like a guided by voices record where every track's just a minute long. This next guy, next dude, boom, boom, bang, boom, bang, boom, boom, boom. Uh, and the other thing is, what I always wanted, and I realized I already had. I was like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you already have this pen. Is I always wanted Joni Mitchell to have the answer records. Yeah. Turns out Crosby, Stills, and Nash were doing that. Oh right. Yeah, but. Now, with Dylan, you don't have that. Mm. You don't have someone going, yeah, I know it's 4th Street, asshole. Right. Yeah. I guess You the- became famous and told me to shut the fuck up. That's why you, you are the one that's, uh, you're the one that's uh, hurt. Maybe Famous Blue Raincoat's the closest we get to Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Famous Blue Raincoat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it comes up. Yeah. But with Taylor Swift, it's 100%, right? Yeah. Like every guy has had his complete say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it comes down to, you know, the joke that's told in both directions, but I like it in this direction best. Mm -hmm. Why do men have cocks? Why? So women will talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) It's told the other way too. The best uh, double joke that worked for both ways, I read recently was like, yes, when a woman says... She'll be ready in five minutes. It's like five minutes left in the game, and both teams still have all their timeouts. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, that's perfect. That is perfect. That cuts delightfully both ways. Yeah, Yeah, and of course, I don't understand it. No, no. The last five minutes of any game, sports game, takes forever. It can take a half hour to an hour. Really? It's five minutes left on the clock. Yeah. 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 Uh, Good. Well, Football game's like 22 minutes of actual play. Is that yeah, true? Yeah. Is yes. that true? And yeah. 20 minutes of it's the first two hours. And the last two minutes is the last hour or whatever it works out to. Yeah, yeah. And basketball, oh, the ratio of the last minute is horrible of how much time it takes to play the last minute of basketball. Really? Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so many timeouts, so many ways to stop the clock, so many ways to just plan and strategize and build drama. But it's it's, it's annoying. If you're, if you're new to it, you're like, Jesus Christ, this is taking forever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and baseball just drags everything out from the very beginning because you can't because because you conceivably have no end. Baseball can be infinite if it wants to be. Yeah, there's no time limit. Well, this uh, this I think we've just said everything about Penn Sunday School here in that we just did 63 minutes on Taylor <laughs> Swift. 
and one minute on all, all sports. sports. All of it. All of it. We even included badminton in there somewhere. Um, that was Penn Sunday School brought to you by Masterclass. Deedly that do. was from Masterclass. And if you want, if you want to know more about Masterclass, and you should, just try having a lifetime of learning. Try learning new stuff. Yeah. This is a crazy thing to say, but don't just go for stuff you're interested in. No. You know, there's there's so many different kinds. They have more than 180 instructors, which are, yeah. which are yeah. classes, yeah. Yeah, 180, 180 instructors. And the instructors they get, I don't know how they do it. I mean, yeah. I can understand them getting us, but Steve <laughs> Martin, uh, Ron Howard. Yeah. I mean, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. I mean, Neil Gaiman is spending his time dressing up as Dickens and reading The Christmas Carol. Yeah. He hasn't got time to do this. And they're all really, really beautifully, beautifully produced. And I would think that's not important. I would think that just, you know, Chris Voss talking in a room with you yeah. about what's going on would kind of, sort of be enough, but they add so much more to it. And I also think that people can think of it sometimes as a lecture or something like that. And it's not that It's at not all. a lecture at all. You can actually break them down into the smaller little lessons. You don't have to take them all at once. Different orders. Yeah. You can find stuff. And of course, once you, um, once you buy one membership... Once you buy one membership, you have access to all the classes and all the instructors, okay? And that's that's what's really good about it because it allows you to jump around. If they charged by class, you would then have to say, do I want to really know about this? But this allows you to dip your toe in. And speaking of toes that have been dipped, what have you been dipping your toe in lately, Ready? Terrence Tao. He's a mathematician. Uh-huh. He does a class on math, but he starts right at the front saying... I'm not going to do anything with equations here. We're not going to get in the weeds with the math. We're just going to talk about what this is as a, an industry. What'd you learn? He talks about how group work has changed in the internet age in ways that you wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. In that you could go to sleep at night and get up in the morning and somebody else in your team on the other side of the planet has worked on your equation. Well, that's what the internet was created for was for scientists to share information. What I thought you would find interesting is he talks about in any of those groups, you need an optimist and a pessimist. Wow. And you're part of a group. Uh-huh. Just want to find out what you thought about that. I think that's exactly true. Exactly true. And the real great thing is that Till and I change roles on who's optimist and who's pessimist. That's true. We change roles really, really quickly, but we always have one of them. On every project, uh, one of us is playing one role, one of us is playing the other. If you're talking about lifelong learning, that's where you want to go. You pick up something from that. So I'll be doing a lot more of these. Right now, this is the great thing. Our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash pen. pen. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash pen. Masterclass.com slash pen. And Sunday School, brought to you by Masterclass. That was Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. So what? Uh, did you feel the vibe with the Masterclass? It felt right to me. Did it feel right to you? They're perfect presenting spots. Seems right. Sure. Seems right. It just felt like it, it makes the show. We talk about other stuff.
You know we love you. You got anybody to thank, Matt Donnelly? I sure do. The fun people support us over at Patreon.com. Wonderful people like I get to see Piff live on November 16th. Harry the Gorillagician, Don Donnie, Kevin Burke, David McLaughlin, Old Bear Greg, Charlie Sheets says trans rights, no shit Sherlock, and Shelley Ruger, Timothy Carver, Jenny loves Penn like Penn loves Dylan. <laughs> Stephen Bracegirdle hasn't received a copy of the town crier in over 53 years. Coach Rat Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Emery the Longshoreman. Will Jason. David, want to finger your cunt Brenner. Tristan Connett. Mason Gooch. Sagebrush. Matthew Mishu. Luke Mellon. Jason Andrew Davidson. Peter B. Clark. Matt Williams. Soapy Fresh. Brad Sherlag. Mike Cavanaugh. Rafiki. Steve Feldman. Jonathan P. NewRuleFX.com. Eric M. Ryan. Krista Hatchby, Luke McKinney, Danny, insert meta joke here, Ruse, Little Mandar. Tell me this ain't a bunch of crap. <laughs> uh, Joe with Hart Bowers, Adam Stickney, Nathan Julian, Jeremy in Shanghai, Christopher Harris, Petty Officer Scoop, Daniel, it takes courage for a man to admit that his wife is wrong. <laughs> William w- Wangreen. That's too true, actually. David Kay, Shane Brevik, a uh, Blue Drinks film says, clear your cookies, baby. Brandon Knapp and Nick Dingman. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm starting to recognize these people. Yeah. I like it a lot. They make me laugh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. 